Steve Kinkwee Wilshiv. Hello, welcome to episode 6 of the Lower Hour podcast. I'm David Smith and I'm joined today by Podge Gaffney, Marty Gillespie and Oren Fitzpatrick. Today we're going to be discussing Fahrenheit 451, the dystopian classic by Ray Bradbury. Small petition for GAE Kinkwee Wilshiv to be changed to Kajemar Tashiv because, no, no, you no. know... No, it's sure you're not from fucking Connor. You're not from Connor. You're not from Connor. Big fucking Navin head and you. Fucking hell. Come on. Only done it. Only Gil took man here at all. Come on, George. Back down primary school. Back down primary school. Good Connor Mara The settler. Connor Mara is fucking me whole. You were you. Fuck not starting at that aggressively. Could you marry Dalton? What are you looking at? All right, Cromwell, go on ahead. Yeah. The fuck way. Press record. Podge, you're a social media expert. Uh, what do you think? Should we put this one to a poll, maybe to our listeners? Yeah, I think we'll have to bring it to the masses. And our Instagram or Twitter poll will be up very shortly to uh, to, to sort this out. I know we're doing Fahrenheit 4 or 5 It's getting fairly heated in here already. <laughs> How are you anyway, Marty? All good, Smith. All good. Glad to have the guy back now. Just done a galler playing Tyrone yesterday and that I, for- I had forgot how high the heart rate goes when watching those those matches. And oh, it's just great to have it back. And there's very few pleasures for Donny Alpi that beat beating Tyrone, you know. So, uh, all good. Happy days, yeah. Happy calling for a change in how there's an introduction to this podcast and then saying guy as well, huh? The GAA. Are you from Dublin yeah. or what? Yeah, it's been too long oh, in Dublin, yeah. Marty. You need to get back to your roots there. Literally. Huh? The big whale go himself. Oh. Huh? Oh. All sizzle and no steak as our, dear, our very own Franny Walsh would say. <laughs> Podge, how are you? What's the crack in Dublin? Yeah, just... Uh few drinks last night with some friends that was the height of it so uh very like marty there delighted the sports back well the gaa is back so mead are playing west mead today and sure as you know a bit of a rivalry there so i work with a fella big west mead man so hopefully have a bit of bragging rights tomorrow and then big liverpool match at half four so sure what else would you want on a sunday a few cups yeah. of tea a few biscuits yeah yeah could be a lot worse three good fine mead men on their podcast and the donny gall man wants to have the intro just for himself enjoy your division two football let's just raise below <laughs> <laughs> Super eight, you'll never see it again. We're not even doing the poll now if he doesn't oh, we're only... and anti me cheek, it'll be I'll just kinda of put him on mute <laughs> put him on mute for the episode. <laughs> Oren, what's the crack with you? Very quiet. Sunday evening. Um, as I said, I was kind of working yesterday, so I was driving for the majority of hours and had a good listen to um, The Sun Also Rises, the old Ernest Hemingway book. To be honest, that's been my weekend, so nothing, nothing strange to start than uh, over here for me anyway. Yeah, no, I have quite enough weekend. Had a match yesterday, as you can see, I'm sporting a bit of a cut on my forehead I got on the receiving end with a couple of dodgy tackles but uh, we won 4-3 so happy days and then yeah, a few pints last night so happy eight. I was going to say nothing to do with the pints you had last night that crazy no, not, not at all no. don't be slandering me or that's an absolute salacious room receiving end of it a couple of hefty tackles that was it Oren, uh, do you want to give our listeners maybe who either haven't read the book or haven't read it in a long time, just kind of familiarise them with like a brief synopsis? All right, Oren, before you launch into an introduction there, I just want to maybe warn the listeners there's going to be a lot of fire-related puns, mostly from Smith, in this episode. And there's going to be some dodgy sound effects as well, so uh, just to be prepared for that. I think we were in, within within 30 seconds, you already said one, so... Um, 
delighted as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm just firing up. Absolutely. Fire away your horn. So for me, this book is set in a dystopian future. It's centered around the main character, Guy Montag, who is a firefighter. And rather than putting fires out, he actually starts fires in houses where there are books stored. It starts off with him and him setting fires, but then develops into him and how he discovers books and what's in them and how it centers around that. So this is a book that has become, in a way, more relevant as the years have gone by. I think it was written in 1954, which I know was around McCarthy and the Cold War. You know, in that setting, it's super, super relevant, but I don't think it's relevant and dissipates at all um, around now. So, yeah, it's been great to hear what, what you all think of it. I've actually read the book uh, three times now. I read it as a teenager after doing a, an excerpt from it in secondary school English. We kind of read the chapter where a guy meets Clarice and I was just really interested in it. And then in college, part of a literature module, ended up doing it, reading it again. And then obviously just now for the podcast. Yeah, I found it really interesting. I've, like book burning's always kind of been a fascinating uh, thing to me. I remember being in Berlin a couple of years ago in the Upper and Platz where in... May 1933, uh, Joseph Goebbels, I think there's like 40,000 people there, burned all these books that are considered anti-Nazi or un-German, I think was their term for it. They used to call it like synchronising culture to ban and burn and censor any works that were against the Nazi ideology. But I remember being standing in the square in the tour and thinking of Fahrenheit 451. But I remember there was a great quote we learned on the tour from a Jewish poet, Heinrich Heine, who said, where they burn books, they will ultimately burn people. So I, like, I find that aspect very interesting. And obviously another book we've read, which is The Book Thief and The Book Club, Book Burning, uh, plays a massive role in that plot too, with Liesl, um stealing books off the burning pile. I suppose the, the common theme there is just how important books are. I know it might sound very obvious, but it's just the, the kind of main theme in those that... Um, Liesl finds a book that kind of fell off the pile, I believe, and how powerful that book is, and, and, and she uses it to kind of learn to read. It's just so symbolic of knowledge is power kind of thing, and not following the, the herd in a way, and standing out, and the power of one, and all these kind of things, which I thought was very prevalent in Fahrenheit. Uh, obviously, the, the comparisons don't end there, but another big book that is similar would be 1984 and I know when you talk dystopian books the first book that comes to mind often is 1984 and funny enough I think it's the one I think it's the book that most people lie about reading which I saw before um so I think it in the current day and age or maybe more so in in the Trump uh, era I suppose with the three books the protagonist kind of escapes ignorance I think in a way, especially 1984, everyone is kind of, it's gotten to that stage in the future where governments are so powerful that instead of like, whereas before with uprisings, they're, they're quashing uprisings through language and lack of uh, critical thought and all this kind of thing. So I just thought that was really interesting. Obviously, it's very similar to, to Fahrenheit with uh, Montag and his realization kind of coming out of where he was and meeting the girl just kind of opening his eyes a bit to the world around him and that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the book yeah i just thought it was a really cool comparison and the fact that but just it's just nice when you read a book and you start kind of piecing together little kind of comparisons like that but yeah as i said to start the overall theme is just how important knowledge is and important like being open-minded to things and not just believing what you read or yeah Paul, it's interesting to say that like about important knowledge in books like yeah when you read about like nazi germany and kind of dictatorships and stuff poets and artists and 
novelists are often the first people rounded up or like silenced because of the power of that knowledge and of words like it's so dangerous to these societies that seek to kind of censor you i know like one obviously famous example would be paul pot in cambodia he targeted the middle class the the kind of the educated people because they were the ones that were going to realize what was happening was wrong they were the ones that were his biggest threat i suppose to what he was doing i mean what we're talking about here is is obviously just kind of dumbing down the populace so that they're not going to think that anything's wrong whereas in 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 this reality with paul basically got rid of them just killed them so if power goes into the wrong hands and how things can transpire like that out of control i think just just to that point what what's so significant about this book is that this is written in the 50s and yes we're still sitting here having this conversation and it's almost more significant now because of the likes of facebook and these social medias what was kind of considered dystopian when this book was written is actually realistic now that for me anyway when i read the book and uh, it was talking about it's Mildred with the screens and the walls I was like that's Facebook like that's Twitter that's insert social media here like I just thought this is this is fascinating that like we've brought ourselves to this point and this is almost more of a social commentary than a dystopian book which for me anyway made it quite jarring so yeah it's interesting you mentioned the link between book thief and this book project the burning the books as well somewhat ironically this book was banned in a few states in the US for a while which is interesting but did any of you actually watch watch the movies there's two movies of Fire and 451 did any of you watch them no no the book I got on Kindle had a big cover of Michael B. Jordan there's two versions so there's there's the 1966 one and the 2018 one I've watched both of them and I have to say if you're going to if you're going to try and watch one of the movies as a substitute for the book wrong choice they both diverge fairly significantly away from from the book the main themes you know like of you know censorship and the importance of books and things like that remain but there's a lot of there's a lot of things different uh, between them interestingly they weren't received very well IMBD for 1966 is 7.2 which is good yeah I have to say I watched it and it was a bit shit but, but yeah and then I watched the 2018 one and ah it wasn't great either but it was it, it I suppose it was a bit more enjoyable but it scored 4.8 which is quite low uh, you think they might they should have just gone down to 4.51 given it was that low but they didn't but there's a pod you mentioned there that Michael B. Jordan's on the on the cover of the book now when you get it on Audible or on Kindle and when he was first approached to do the 2008, well, he obviously wasn't going to do the 1966 one, but I'm not sure if he turned it down, but he was definitely hesitant. And he was saying the reason why was because a lot of heat in the, in the States at the time between the public and the police, you know, there was a lot of things going on that he wasn't quite sure whether he wanted to be involved in this, you know. So that was interesting there. The 2018 one, it's supposed to be more of a modern adaptation. A lot of things different, like for example, spoiler alert here, Montag actually dies and Beatty survives. Beatty isn't a reader, he's a writer, he writes things on the on cigarette skins. Interesting, and loads of interesting things like that. And Clarice, actually in both films, Clarice is an adult rather than a 17-year-old. And Bradbury actually says himself, he says, one thing if he was going to rewrite the novel he would he would I think he said he'd have he'd have Clarice come back in at the end or something yeah interestingly actually he adapted himself for the stage and he in the stage version she lives I'm pretty sure so that's interesting that I didn't realise he said right. that but I, I did see that in yeah. the version he adapted so he obviously felt he, he needed to keep her in the story for longer or whatever yeah interestingly in the movie uh, from 1966 
the credits are at the start, which is something that actually costs a lot. You know, you have to you have to pay. It's it's for some reason it's it's more expensive to put credits at the start, but the credits are spoken. They're spoken rather than written, so that the written word is is um, it's obsolete or it's not it's not used. It's just spoken, uh, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, that's very clever. And interestingly, in the 1966 one, the woman who plays Clarice is the same actress that plays Mildred, uh, even though Mildred is called Linda for some reason in that movie. And again, then in 2018, Mildred actually isn't in the film. Uh, Montag is unmarried. Clarice is actually his love interest. But the reason why Mildred wasn't included in the 2018 movie, the director was thinking, you know, what is her role in the story, the point of view of the novel? And he felt that that was to convey how futuristic the world would be. And I know uh, that's portrayed in a lot of different films and TV shows, but one of the more modern takes in that kind of a pod you were mentioning was Black Mirror. Yeah, yeah, Black Mirror, definitely. Um, There's some very, very close connections in the book to that. Not least the mechanical hound um obviously there's an episode of a mechanical hound in black bear maybe they got the idea from this book who knows there's also um there was one part near the end where montag is is imagining mildred's just before the bomb hits and he's just imagining those last split seconds or whatever and what how she's feeling and he's like imagining the moment the screens all just kind of turn off because obviously the power is gone or whatever mildred is just left looking at her reflection and realizing she can finally see herself for the first time in a long time and realizing the reality of, of how she's been living and all of that. And that's obviously what Black Mirror is, you know, when your phone is off and you're just looking at a black screen, a black mirror, and looking back at yourself. Um, so, yeah, those two, those two connections were, were very good. Another one, Marty, and I think you'll agree, uh, one of your favorite shows, The Circle, very much like that. I think I just, just hit me there as you were chatting, but I don't know if the lads have watched it. It's... Um, Started off on Channel 4, but it's now Netflix have done, they're onto their second season of it. It's basically one of these reality shows where everyone is in their own apartment and they can only they can only converse through a screen, like multiple screens around the apartment. This is very actually like Fahrenheit, this is hilarious. They can either be themselves or they can be a catfish. So they could go in, like some 30-year-old lad could go in as a 20-year-old blonde actress or whatever. So they have a profile picture and they can put up a bio and they can talk to each other. They literally are like, circle, uh, message to Marty. How are you, Marty? Did you like your breakfast this morning? Send. And that's how they interact. And then they have to like rank each other. And then the person who's last is sent home, all that kind of thing. But it's very much like they're living in this space and... Yes, they're being social and they're creating relationships and they're being very, you know, they're having a crack and they're having all these parties. But at the end of the day, they're on their own in this room looking at a screen and it's very dystopian. Like even in today's age, it's very like, Ugh, this is unnerving. Um, so I suppose thinking like, when you're when you're reading a book and you're kind of imagining, like I was, I was imagining the parlors, for example, I suppose only now I'm only realizing that's what I was imagining. Maybe not as... Obviously, in the book, it's kind of perceived that the the walls are a screen, basically, isn't it? Like, and the, you can kind of design your theme or whatever, which is similar in a way. Like, they they could decide, oh, let's have a summer theme or whatever, and then they'll have kind of summer colors and summer music and all this, and everyone's happy and everything's great. And why look out the window? Sure, you have the beach on the screen. So yeah, I mean, there you go. Like that that started only a few years ago, but um, yeah, very good. That's a great link, Podge. I never thought about that. It's a great show. I think it, just to be clear. 
as well. It's a reality TV show. Like, it's real people. It's not... The way you described it, it sounded great, and it could be a fictional series, but it's a reality TV show. Like I thought the most unrealistic part of this was the city getting bombed, everything else. I was like, yeah, that's that's happening now. Like, and this is a, a recent problem that we're trying to, like, contend with now, like, which I found quite frightening and terrifying. Like, yeah, we, we have to cop on here, like, and realise that this is an issue, like... We can't just hide behind our screens as as we're doing, like, and it's easy to view it as a dystopian issue, but it's not a dystopian issue. It's a very relevant issue right now, like. Yeah, like the thing I probably found most interesting about the book was that you know, like books are obviously being burned and being exterminated, but people had already like people were stopping reading books and that they were having to condense books because people's attention span and interest was so waning and so like that all books just became the same then because you couldn't offend anyone, which reminds me of like this kind of social media and now everyone's offended so easily by everything. I thought that was really like, to think that was written in the 50s and they're saying you couldn't write uh, about cigarettes giving you lung cancer because then the cigarette companies will be upset and all those things. I thought was just really like um, foresight on Bradbury's part. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like, um, It really is probably one of the main themes of the book, like, you know, how people, people were encouraged to connect more with, the machines and them with actual people and like you were saying or and like we've all found ourselves slipping into it you know and we've seen it evolve from something that was more of a hobby into something that's you know part of your every day and I, I even remember you know I remember being home for Christmas one time and seeing somebody I hadn't seen since the last Christmas right and I you know in normal circumstances you went up and say you know what are you at this you know how's things what, are you, what have you been doing this last year but I know what, what they've been doing this last year. I've seen it online. I can't, not, not that I can't talk to them about it, but I, I'm pretending I don't know what they're doing. And I know, I know from online. So my connection with that, with that person felt more through the screen than through, through reality or human connection, you know? And I thought that uh, idea of dehumanization and, and, and loss of connectivity with other people is really interesting yeah, yeah i think the idea of of socializing in the book is it's very spot on with that and then smith you mentioned there they're they are making like the books just got shorter and shorter eventually became obsolete in a way sure that's twitter isn't it like that's the short attention span these 140 plus characters whatever it is um, nice little small even if you're a journalist and you've noticed like clickbait articles and they're like 100 200 characters they're small like they're not in any way in depth uh, stories and it's just they know people will just lose interest for example that's why I really love like, like your season ticket art website for example nice little plug for you there Smith uh, would be good because it's a it's a long read art like you know you get your full idea of what's going on and then similar to like to the, the athletic as well so i don't mind paying a subscription because i know it's good quality stuff it's well researched um that kind of thing and obviously very much interested in sport yeah and then another kind of comparison to all of that to be similar to 1984 with the news speak and how they just say ah that word get rid of it you know or that the, the term you speak is is an example or double think this kind of thing where you don't need synonyms or antonyms you just need one word to explain what you're thinking and it's just so condensed and simple and then finally i suppose just before i finish was um was a very interesting piece i picked up on when mildred had her friends over and they're in the house and i just noticed that they couldn't even converse like they barely even talk 
to each other and there was one particular friend and you might remember the name and she just kind of repeated what they were saying all the time and they were so awkward and then Montag turns off the screens and they're almost like what do we do now because they're just so constantly distracted and there's constant noise there's constant laughter there's constant look at me look at me look at me that they they actually don't have a chance to even think for themselves or to to have these in-depth instructions and then the idea of bit by bit like the armchair is taken away and the porch is taken away because the porch was where people sat and talked no point of that anymore and houses are just so boring looking and straight face and no gardens and it's it's just a real grim idea of a future isn't it i loved one line that montag had about to try and uh, sum it up where he said nobody listens anymore i can't talk to the walls because they're yelling at me I can't talk to my wife. She listens to the walls. Uh, very good. Yeah. Pudge, as you mentioned there about the words, you know, we're cutting out the words. Another thing I found out about this book was in 92, a teacher in California decided she wanted to read this book with her class, but for, she wanted to cut out any curse words or any words that you know she didn't think were needed for whatever class age they were but the class were smart enough to say well is that not uh, a bit uh, at odds with the with the whole whole idea of this book you know uh, i thought that was very interesting yeah the characters are so interesting i think i really like clarice obviously like is the catalyst for a guy's kind of realization he kind of wakes up from this life like that mildred and everyone else so consumed by by like a simple question of asking him are you happy like changes life and I mentioned earlier that we read a sample of it in class for a comparative one chapter. And it was actually that chapter and ended with the are you happy question. Uh, and I love the line in it where Guy says, he wore his happiness like a mask and the girl had run off across the lawn with the mask. And there was no way of going to knock on her door and ask for it back. Just thought that was so good. And like a good intro to the story. She's obviously a really interesting character, just her appetite for life and how infectious she is. And what, what did you guys think of her as a character? And do you think it worked? Um, yeah, I really liked her as a character. I thought it was like when Montag is introduced, he's very much, he's kind of cocky in a way, isn't he? And he's kind of has a bit of a swagger about him. And he's like, he's everything he's, not by the end if you know what I mean like he's he's very different and uh, he's very ignorant and he's enjoying his job and sure it's great and he's he gets to witness all these lovely big fires and all of this crack and I thought Clarice was yeah a very important character and he hit the nail on the head there Smith she was the catalyst for everything that followed I thought it was just very kind of sudden though I thought she kind of she just appeared and then all of a sudden he like the fact that it only needed one person like that but I just thought that it was just very 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 quickly I thought you, you mentioned her, her appearance in the book you know she's there and then 30% in the book she's gone and there's no real uh, mention of her, of her again other than other than Montag's search for her and uh, I just found that a bit strange how her death was just kind of mentioned and glossed over and moving on I like I, I thought that was brilliant in the book how it was just, it was glossed up as if it was insignificant that this person has played such a massive impact. And then she wasn't she hit by a car and, you know, live fast, die young sort of thing. And it was just insignificant. For the one character, it played such a massive role in his life. And I, I, I don't know, I just thought it kind of, for me anyway, that was the central pillar of the book that individuals do play significant roles in other individuals' lives. And that can be the most important thing. And I thought that was the best way to get that across, like by by literally showing it. This is how this happens, and it doesn't matter if the person, like you know, was only there for a couple of pages, but they can have a lasting effect throughout the book. 
But you know, and, and I get that. You know, maybe it was he wanted a shorter book or whatever. But I'd like to, I'd like to be optimistic and say that it was a, a designed like that rather than just oh, geez, I had to had to kill her off quickly. Well, no, I wasn't really alluding to her kind of disappearing. I just thought that if you were to get a percent of the book that she's chatting to him, let's say it's quite small. It was just a little bit not rushed. Just kind of happened very quickly. He he went from one extreme to the other very quickly. Didn't need much convincing let's say and he's after being i presume he's a fireman for years and years and years and that's kind of all he's known for so long i just thought maybe it needed and maybe, maybe another few does anybody actually need that much push like you know does anybody yeah. need that much pressure to actually tip them over the edge you know yeah as we said earlier on you think you're kind of nazi germany and stuff like there's lots of characters there who weren't necessarily bad people Yet next thing they realize they're doing horrific, horrific things. And you're like, are we all that far away from being a certain type of individual that we don't think we necessarily are now? Like, I agree, yeah, fair. In this, in this case, like it's a positive turn, but it could be, you know, it could be a negative turn sort of thing. I feel like a good example of the team overall where people are just happy to ignore everything and all these bigger questions. Mildred attempts to commit suicide at the start of the book, but never wants to delve in like, why did this happen? Or she's almost just blurs out her memory that people are unhappy, but I think it just took Clarice to ask one question are you happy to guy for him, his whole world to unravel and even I thought it was great combining her like I suppose appreciation of the wonder of everyday things where she does the dandelion game with him about you're in love and then you know he oh you're not in love she says to him because there's no yellow under his chin when she rubs it that kind of is his start of his realisation uh, when he said the word love he tried to conjure a face but none came to his mind within like two meetings with her she basically proven to him that he was unhappy and that he didn't love his wife but these were things obviously that he was just happy to ignore with the way that society was where everything was just so fast and instant and no one wanted to think and my favorite thing about the whole book was Beatty Captain Beatty after Clarice died where he said her problem was she wanted to know the why of things instead of the how and if you start wanting to know the why of everything you'll end up unhappy yeah Beatty was actually one of my favorite characters as well one of the characters I found most interesting I especially you know how he was the leader, the fireman, how you'd assume that he was this, he would have an abhorrence of any to anything with books. And then that contrast with the knowledge he has of books and I, you can see how Montag jars at the at the quotes that, that BT that BT uses or when he explains that when he explains the quote that the old lady used before she before she set light to the to herself and the books. Also that you know the quiet domineering he had over over Montag, like whenever he whenever he's questioning himself whether he should read, whether he should go into work, and you know he he's like subtle little hints that I know what you're doing, Montag. That's all right, but come back now soon. One of the points in the book that really hit me was when Montag eventually does turn the flamethrower on Beatty. Uh, he mentions the light in Beatty's eyes, hinted that he wanted this, he wanted to die. Like, I thought that was really, really harrowing. And it was just such a, a strong reflection on, on what the society was and, and how Beatty was the embodiment of it, I suppose. It was very clever the way they, like, everything to Beatty was constantly referred to as fire and like how obsessed he was with fire. Like Death by Fire was almost glorious, I'd say too. But like they described this car as the colour of yellow flames, I think it was, and the char coloured tires and stuff. It was very vivid. And he had a great line about um about why are we all so obsessed with fire? He said, what is it about fire that's so lovely? No matter what age we, what draws us to it? And then he blows out his flame and he lights it again. He says, it's perpetual motion. The thing man wanted to invent, but never did. Yeah, I really liked Beatty as well. I thought he was fascinating and kind of adds to the idea that 
the fact that he knew all this knowledge kind of showed how powerful he was and he was able to twist quotes and books that he had read in it to, to, to kind of support him in his in his plot or whatever you want to call it. So kind of similar, I suppose, to the lads at the end who had all the books kind of memorized. And I think Beatty was very similar to that, except he used it for the, the wrong reasons. Like he used it to, to stifle uprisers and people in the fire department who maybe started to get ideas. And he kind of said that, didn't he? Like he said that like Montag wasn't the first person to, to bring a book home and oh, you can have it for 24 hours, you know, and like this kind of thing of like, you won't, don't worry, you won't get in trouble, but uh, you'll have to burn it after that or something like that. Almost like an olive branch to people to realize it's normal to have these thoughts, but at the end of the day, this is the rules. Even even reading it, <laughs> it was kind of on, on Montag's page, like he, how his thoughts were starting to just muddle up and he was just throwing quote off quote and showing how, sure, this contradicts that and this contradicts that. So why would you want to read it all? Like, you know, this is only going to make you unhappy, as Marty said. So, um, no, very, very fascinating character, very intimidating character as well. Like even when he was at the door that time, Montag got all the books and he was there with Mildred and just that, that presence that he had, even though he was outside, it was just like, yeah, you wouldn't want to mess with him. I think he hit the nail on the head as an, um, an intimidating character. Like, to be honest, I found him terrifying. Um, from that, because, he, because he knew what he was doing as well. He knew there was information out there, but he was trying, he was actively trying to hide it. Like, say, Montag there, he was just burning books because that's what he was told what to do. This is a job. I go and do that. And that's it. And I go home and I sleep well at night. And the minute he started questioning it, like, and, and that's what saves him as a, you know, as a person, as a human, like, you're thinking, geez, fair play, that, that's what I think I would like, that would be me that I would do. But realistically, a lot of people would just go, nah, I'm not going to question this. I'm just going to keep going on. And, and, and realistically, that's beating. And as you say, like, that's, I don't know, you compare it to Nazi Germany or whatever it was. And, you know, there's a lot of characters who just go along with society at the time, which was Nazism. And yeah. And not to say that that was grand, but like they just didn't question it because I think that's human nature. But then there was a lot of people who did question it, and then they said, "Yeah, this is the right thing to do," and kept going. Which, yeah, that's horrific. Which I think is beauty at the end of the day. And I suppose Professor Faber is almost like the demon and the angel on your shoulder, isn't it? Like, and Montag's in the middle, and it's almost like this sliding doors moment. Like, who does he go with? Do you know what I mean? Like, he has this Faber who is like, books are great, and we need to protect them with beauty with the opposite like you know yeah Faber was, was fascinating and just that little glimmer of hope in the book was was nice to to know there was someone out there albeit in hiding terrified but it was just a lovely partnership that they formed and it was great for Montag to know he was out there especially he was kind of on the run and he didn't know where he was running at one point and he realized he was actually running to Faber yeah no I just thought he was great just interesting to hear what you guys think about him as well oh he was i thought he was a brilliant character as well very interesting and it was fascinating you know how he was um, a former professor professor in english literature obviously that that didn't exist become whatever happened in society at that stage but how his relationship with montag you know he essentially teaches montag how to think montag asks him you know how do i know if i'm thinking for myself and you know he says oh well once you've started thinking like that you are thinking for yourself he makes that he helps Montag have that revelation but it also doubles down as the, the point of or the the power of books you know like like Faber was a professor of English literature so he taught English literature but he was teaching Montag how to think it's kind of linking how um books make you think and that's what um that's what the firemen were trying to to uh, avoid happening. Yeah, I loved how as well he explained about books, how like it's the physical things, it's the magic is what's between the pages. And there's something about like how it's, it stitches the universe together into one garment first. I thought that was really cool. And 
Yeah. Um, I wonder actually what Faber would have thought of the Kindle. I'd say BT would be a big fan of the Kindle. He did a fair bit of Kindling himself. I say poor Faber would, would be uh, kind of looking at uh, looking at us fairly fairly odd if we started mentioning Kindling around him. PTSD. <laughs> Faber had some brilliant lines as well. He was just so full of like full of knowledge, as I said. And there was one in particular I just thought was brilliant and and very relevant today as well. Like say, those who don't build must burn. That was just one of the lines that stood out for me. And he seemed that every time the man spoke, he had some sort of amazing quip or something. So uh, what a man. He kind of continued on, I suppose, Clarice's work in a way and kind of continued opening up Montag's mind. You could kind of say he was full of shite though as well because like he was, he could, you know, he, he was full of talk. Like, to be fair to him. Like, no, he didn't do anything. Like. He's a coward, but like, he said that himself. I, like, you know, like, I'm, barely this is a... Um, this is a hypothetical conversation whenever but like and you know is, is that part of the problem with society as well like yeah absolutely it's it's not right to live the other way but like you can't completely live i feel he was completely living within the book and not actually living either like so it, is that a is that a, an argument worth worth having like you know that he was telling montag how to live as much as he was telling montag how to live mm. you know just coming from a different angle and Who's to say what's right and what's wrong, you know? A bit like your man in Animal Farm, really, isn't it? It's kind of... Benjamin, yeah. Benjamin, yeah. Just kind of has... He has the knowledge to do things, maybe, and he just decides not to. He does kind of... He says that a lot in the book, that he's he's a coward and he's not... Even even uh, Montag is the one who's growing out and doing things, whereas Favourite's just in the ear at home safe, uh, speaking into this little earpod or, AirPod or whatever it is, so... Yeah, I really liked his line as well about um, the things you're looking for in the world, he said to Montag. But the only way, like most people, 99% people will ever see them is in a book. And I wonder now, like I've obviously read The Song of Ice and Fire by George R. R. Martin. And there's a great line in that that I really like where he says, a reader lives a thousand lives, but the man who never reads lives but one. Or something to paraphrase, and I'll probably butcher that. But um, I wondered, like, the George R. Martin take that. It's almost like it's very similar to what Faber said, but it's a really good. I really like that concept. I really like that line too, as well. So that was one of my favorite quotes of the book. Marty, what did you think of the ending? Did you like how Montag kind of got out of the city and met this group of like intellectuals who were like memorizing all these books and trying to kind of create a, a normal society again? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I suppose. Um... The bombing of the city was, uh, you know, it was a bit surreal. But I mean, at this at this stage of the book, you're you're immersed in, in how surreal the the world is. Um, uh, and I really liked how the crew here, with Granger and the boys, talked about how the world moves in cycles, or society moves in cycles. Like that, they'll burn the, they'll burn the city down and they'll build it again. And like they, we'll burn, we'll ban the books, but the books will become popular again, or we'll use them again. We're the people who who have that ability to do it so by by being rebels or outsiders or, or something like that. But but you know I thought it I thought it was a, a fitting end. I thought it tied together nicely actually. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was interesting about like, yeah, the city is burned but another one will be built in its place. It was like that team of the Phoenix that kept coming out through the book. Even I thought like the way um Montag like incinerated essentially BB. He was almost like the Phoenix rising from BB like he was the new sort of fireman or whatever like this was a new step for society. Um, and just the same things with, yeah, with the buildings, I guess, the city being destroyed and it's a chance for like a rebirth, like a phoenix for like a better future. There's like nice touch of hope at the end of this dystopian novel, which I always enjoy. Like I've read other ones, which 
um, I was just unrelenting misery, but I thought it ended on a nice, hopeful note kind of for society, despite all the destruction. And Yeah, I agree, Bodius. Um, I like how it, it ended on that kind of hopeful note. Um, but also, it wasn't, a, it wasn't on a note that everything was instantly better. It even said that the, their children will have to, they'll have to pass these stories down to their children, and it'll, it might take generations before things get back to where they were, but there's people out there that are willing to, to do that. I thought a lot of this book is very poetic, and there's definitely a lot of language at the end of the book that I really liked. There was one particular quote that I just thought was a nice kind of way to tie it up. I think it was on possibly the last page or one of the last pages. It was, um, and on either side of the river was there a tree of life, which bare 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Just thought it was a lovely little, little quip there. Now, I didn't know if they were, if you were kind of talking about these lads, like, were these lads the kind of trees? Were these the lads, like, the, and the fruit was their stories or something? And that would eventually lead to the healing of the nations. Maybe not. Maybe that's very broad thinking, but that's kind of what I took from that anyway. No, a, a nice ending. And as he said, Smith tied it up very well. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that it's unrealistic, but I think it's less realistic of a, um, a potential outcome now in 2021 than it was in 1950s. I think if you take the book in the 1950s when it was first written and released, yeah, there was, there was a much greater chance of uh, atomic bombs being dropped and it was you know it was in the middle of the cold war and all that sort of stuff whereas now you know I, personally i don't think it's a realistic thing but yeah it was definitely prevalent at the time of the book with the cold war but like look at north korea with their nuclear weapons look at the us i mean some mad lad is gonna one day say let's do this like you know let's let's become the next world superpower and unfortunately you just know that people in power if things escalate to that to that certain extent who knows what'll happen but um, if there's always a threat of it, I mean, there's always a threat. If countries have them, why did they have them? You know what I mean? Like, it's a bit unsettling in that, in that regard, in that kind of idea that that could, like, a city could easily be wiped out with an atomic bomb. No, like, I, I, I would say it's uh, it was a bit of a bit of a mad ending in that regard, but it's not inconceivable. Bit of a bombshell, was it? Was? Uh, I was actually reading a bit about Bradbury himself very interesting man he obviously was very much into this kind of dystopian uh, dystopian type uh, writing like you know and I'm sure we've all read the the foreword you know the inspiration of this book was from when he was stopped by a policeman and he was just walking down the street and the policeman asked him what are you doing and he says I'm putting one foot in front of the other and that kind of was the inspiration for a short story that ended up escalating into Fahrenheit 451 you know it was too long to be a short story and it became a novel you know and uh, it was written in nine days nine dollars eighty cost them to, to to produce it but also the idea of a witch hunt now this wasn't necessarily an inspiration for him but you know, the, the idea of McCarthyism is the witch hunt for, for commies. Or, or, and, you know, in the book, there's the witch hunt for Montag and, and that. But uh, interestingly, Ray Bradbury was a descendant of a survivor from the Salem witch trials. Um, she was convicted of being a witch, sentenced to death and put in jail. But her husband and friends broke her out and went on the run. Um, I'm not saying that was necessarily an inspiration for the book, but I thought it was an interesting connection. I thought you were uh, going to say she was burnt at the stake. I would have been like, ah, that all makes sense. Hodge warned you about the pun, so it's time for our uh, most regular pun of all, and it's our rate expectation segment for the podcast. Oren, I'll come to you first. What would you rate the book out of 10 and why? 
So, uh, yeah, no, I think, first of all, geez, that was a weird introduction. First of all, I think I really enjoyed this book. I listened to it on Audible. I actually got it there months ago, um, say six, seven months ago, and then had to listen to it again. When I say I had to, you know, enjoy it, it was great. I reckon I'd go with about a seven. I love a good old dystopian novel. Um, I think it has to be taken at the right time. It has to be taken knowing what you're getting yourself in for, because there is a... There's a certain level of kind of edginess that if you don't know you're getting into into that level of edginess, it can be uh, confronting, shall we say. But I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Obviously, it's it's very well written and very thought-provoking. And yeah, I thought Seven was a, a perfect kind of great book, great listen. I'd say it'd be an even better read. Yeah, I would agree with Oren. I'd probably go to Seven as well. I enjoyed it, but I think I would be afraid to kind of give it a higher rating because I'm like, you know, we kind of, kind of takes away from the storyline itself it was an enjoyable read it was kind of a fast-paced kind of a thriller which i liked but um i just kind of found it was it was some of the language was hard to follow in times as i said at the start of the podcast maybe i've read it a bit a bit slower maybe i kind of read it a bit quickly uh, to kind of take in everything sometimes i read a book and i'm kind of i get a bit frustrated thinking am i missing a lot of the meaning of this book if you find that sometimes it books and it's a, bit, a little bit frustrating sometimes um but it's it deserves to be at least a seven anyway because because look it, there's a reason why it's a classic there's a reason why we're, we're reading it 70 odd years later so you have to put a bit of respect on the name and i would recommend it to people and it is important still to this day which is impressive nonetheless but um no overall i think a seven is a fair a fair uh, rating for me yeah, I enjoyed it too. Um, I was a bit conflicted with it as well, though, you know, as you're saying, sometimes whenever I took into a classic, I kind of expect to have this literary epiphany and that it's going to be, so it's going to blow my mind and all. But um, I did find myself kind of both during and after kind of considering why it was a classic. And I think the reason it was it, it is, is a classic is also the reason why I like the book. It's because it aged so well and it's, it's been relevant since the day it was born or since the day it was written. It's just very interesting how it reflects on today's world, even though it was, you know, 50 odd years before. Uh, I think what I enjoyed most of it was, but most about it was the historical context um, more than anything else. As Owen mentioned there, you know, he's he likes a dystopian novel. I had actually, I hadn't read many dystopian novels, so it was something new for me. Like, the height of dystopian I got was The Hunger Games, you know. So uh, it was really interesting for, from that point of view. I think the, the word I'd use to describe it would be frantic. That's what I felt. I felt it was frantic. I read most of it and listened to some of it as well. But yeah, I think... If I was really just as how I enjoyed it, I think I would have to go with a seven as well. I'd recommend it. I'd absolutely recommend it, you know. But as you said, Owen, you do kind of need to know what you're getting into. I think so anyway. But yeah, I thought it was an enlightening read, fun read. And yeah, that's what I'd say. I'd say a seven. What do you think, Smith? Yeah, it's just interesting. I'm actually very torn on this, but I just thought it was interesting you were saying there about how it felt very frantic to read. And I didn't realize until you actually mentioned earlier that he wrote it in nine days, so it was obviously written frantically and reads quite frantically, which is interesting. My rating, I think, is a bit tempered by, like I mentioned earlier, like through college and everything. So I've actually read this book three times without, like, necessarily meaning to each time, like a, uh, but 
I think I didn't maybe didn't enjoy it as much this time because I knew what was coming and I, I knew the story quite well. But I would bring it back to then when I was in Berlin, say I mentioned earlier, like in the square, uh, Ostenplatz or something I think it was called, where the book burnings happened. That at the forefront of my mind when I was there was like I was thinking of the book deep from Fahrenheit 451. So I think like it did have a big impact on me when I read it. And I would like, I think, or, or Pod, you said like, it might have got a higher rating back in 1954 when it was written. And also I think like without that book, a lot of the modern dystopian stuff and subsequent books, like it was incredibly influential. So it, it maybe suffers from that. It was so original at the time. Whereas now I know there's like we're flooded with dystopian stuff like Black Mirror, like we talked to today is basically an, a never ending series of dystopian stories and possibilities. But Ray Bradbury deserves massive credit, like along with George Orwell for born, being one of the forefathers probably of the genre. So um, that's an interesting point but I'm going to give it an 8 I think based on if I was based on this reading of it I'd probably give it like a 7 closer to but I'm just trying to think back to when I was younger and like I found it quite impactful then so Fahrenheit 451 the second in our series uh, of classics scored 7.3 from Lower Hour uh, I think we'll leave it there lads on our next podcast we'll be discussing Matt Haig's The Midnight Library you've probably seen this book everywhere it's a bestseller at the moment as usual, head over to lowerhour.com. Keep an eye on the website for all our latest articles and um, book recommendations. And see you soon. Bye.